0: The psalm of the day is Psalm 15, which is very appropriate uh, as we think about this week in the life of our nation, the inauguration of uh, President Trump. And Let me read this psalm, and let me just pray for our country We we'll go to a time of prayer. Psalm 15 is the psalm of David, and David says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, and who shall dwell on your holy hill? The answer: he, he whose walk is, is blameless and who does what is right and who speaks the truth in his heart. Who does not slander his, with his tongue or, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears the truth to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So this is a description of the type of person that we should be as we worship. So let's let's pray. Lord, we pray for uh, ourselves. We pray that we'd be people who reflect the reality of the living God in our lives, that we would not slander people, that we would not take advantage of people financially, that we would honor those who honor the Lord and we would not honor those who curse your name, that we would be people who, who, whose lives reflect the reality of Christ. And so we thank you for calling us to be a set-apart people and for placing us in this nation called the United States of America, and we pray for our country. We pray for those in authority. We pray for your blessing and your protection of President and Mrs. Obama and their daughters. We we ask that you would give them long life and a heart to know you more and more. We pray for President and Mrs. Trump and Vice President and Mrs. Pence. And we pray, Lord, that you would make these men men who pursue justice and who love mercy and who walk humbly with God. We thank you that Mr. Pence gives a strong statement of a personal faith in Christ. So guard him and let him have a leavening influence on those around him, especially President-elect Trump. So, so Lord, we commit this unto you. We pray for our House of Representatives, our senators, our local leaders. We ask that by your grace and for your glory you would protect our nation. We pray for the cabinet that's being assembled and the Supreme Court nominee who will be brought forth in the next three or four weeks. O oh God, have mercy upon us, and may we be a praying people who pray for mercy and protection and power for this land. Bring revival and teach us how to walk in humility and kindness and truthfulness. Like the psalmist says, may we tell the truth even when it's not to our own advantage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, we're in the book of Colossians studying through this uh, book written by the Apostle Paul from a Roman prison to a church he's never been to, to a group of people he's never met. Uh, He hasn't met these people, so he's heard about the church from a man named Epaphras, who's a, a loyal friend of the Apostle Paul, who heard the gospel, took it to Colossae, told them about Christ, saw the church, birthed. And now he's come to Rome to minister to Paul, who is in prison, and also to learn from the Apostle Paul. So he tells Paul about this church. He says, listen, they're doing well. They they have faith in Christ and they have love for one another that springs from the hope of heaven that's been birthed in their heart. He says that there are people who are known for their love. He says, "But, but yet in Colossae, we have all this false teaching from various tributaries flowing into the city. And he said, Epaphras was saying, I'm concerned about this. And so Paul writes this book, which exhausts the glory and grandeur of Christ and addresses contemporary issues in the, at the church of Colossae. And so he's already talked about these people. And he says, this is the type of people that you are. He said, you have been people who have been past tense. Verse 13, you've been delivered from The domain of darkness and past tense transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And then he talks about the glory of Christ and the wonder of Christ saying that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things Have been created by Christ and for Christ and in Christ all things hold together. And he is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For it was pleased, God was pleased to have all of his fullness located in the person of Christ. And then as he glories in the goodness of Christ, he says, and and through him to reconcile to himself all things, in verse 20, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And then he turns to the Colossian believers. And he says, and you, you were once alienated from the living God. You were hostile in mind. You did evil deeds. But you have now been reconciled, past tense, reconciled, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in him. It says, you're reconciled. The blood of the cross has covered your sins. Therefore, you're holy, you're blameless, and you're above reproach. And then he throws in this curveball. Verse 23, if. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And so you, you, you go holy, blameless, above reproach. Paul says, if you continue. So that these people are hearing about what the Lord has done in their lives and in their experience but then this thought hits them. How do I really know that I am indeed in Christ? How do I know that I'm holy and blameless and above reproach in Him? How do I know? And then Paul says this. Here's how you know. If you continue in the faith, steadfast and stable, not move from your hope. Says the sign of your salvation is... You continue on in the Lord. And, and so this is a monumental issue. I'm going to discuss it this week. I'm going to lay this place setting out for the table. Next week we'll jump into verse 23 pretty exhaustively. So, so the, the issue is holy, blameless, above reproach. That's who I am in Christ. I, I am I'm complete in him. It's a completed action. Verse 13, he, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of of His Son. But I've got to continue in the faith. And I want to say very strongly this morning, help you to understand this, that, that we are involved in the fight of faith. It's ongoing. It's unrelenting. It will stop only when we go to heaven. Let me read some verses that talk about the fight of faith. Verse 11 of chapter 1 present tense. Again, some are past tense, some are present tense. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. So this is this, this present tense. May you be strengthened. May you give thanks. And then he says, and Chapter 20, or chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing or warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Again, it's present tense. We warn everyone, we teach everyone. It's ongoing, it's present tense. We are involved in the fight of faith. We're in Christ, but it's the fight of faith. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. You said you received him as your Lord. Now grow in your discipleship. Walk in him. Grow in him. Be rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. Next verse. See to it. Be very careful. See to it present tense that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore put to death present tense. Whatever is earthly in your experience, whether it's sexual immorality or impurity or passion or evil desires, put it to death. Verse 12, therefore put on present tense as God's chosen elect people, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 20, verse 15 of chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule. You do it. Present is, let it rule. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Present is. So so, so I back up and I say, I am involved in the fight of faith. Now here's the question. And this is, I'm going to lose some of you here, but it's just going to be for three minutes. So dial back in in three minutes. Okay. The question is, how do you go forward in faith? And I'm saying very strongly, it is a progressive fight every day. You're the supply of the Holy Spirit, but we're never done with sin. We're never done with sin, but the Holy Spirit compels us to repentance and faith. I'm never done with sin, but the whole, I've received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit pushes me to faith and repentance and obedience. Now, when I was first converted many years ago, there was some teaching. I don't hear it anymore. Maybe I don't run those circles, but it was, it was called, uh, people would say, you just need to let go and let God. Maybe some of you heard that years ago. Just, just, you just surrender to the Lord. You just, just surrender. Just, just, you just surrender. And, um, and then, I, so through the years I've been reading, and there's, here's a, a very godly man I respect very much. His last name is Bringle. And he, he said this. This said, uh, on January the 9th, 1885, this is a historical overview. He was struggling with walking with the Lord, doing what he wanted to do. So he woke up early in the morning and he made it his resolve that he must be totally sanctified that day or he would be lost. He could find no peace. He said, quote, I was seeking the Holy Spirit that I might use him rather than he might use me, close quote. And so he just struggled that day. And then he says later, his biographer says, the battle was not over. Not until he believed God's promise of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Here's what he says. His biographer says, he came from his room that day with a glowing face and a life so transformed that he became one of the most frequently cited examples of instant sanctification, which... Let me show you this little graph. There's a decisive moment in time where you totally surrender, and from that point forward, people, these people, dear people, godly people. I can't begin to even touch them on their godliness. But these people say from that point forward, you walk in, in victory. But It's a moment in time where you surrender. It's a moment in time, instant sanctification. What I'm saying is I believe the Bible says and the church taught that sanctification is being made holy in heart and conduct is progressive. It's not one moment in time. You're saved in one moment in time, but then it's a lifetime of obedience that is progressive. You're being made holy in heart and conduct. Let me tell you about another person. Somebody, a man named J. I. Packer. Packer's still alive. He's an old, older, older man. Wonderful man. we Will go down as one of the most well-thought-spoken theologians of the 20th century. No doubt about it. Wonderful man. Anything he writes, read, it's worth his weight in gold. J.I. Packer was a young man in Great Britain, came to faith in Christ, uh, very, very bright, very, very intelligent. And he he got, got involved with a group that talked about let go and let God and just surrender your life. And this is what Packer wrote about that experience. He said, I couldn't find the victorious life about which I'd heard so much, but there was an inescapable defeat which threatened my emotional and spiritual health. But what happened? He said, I scraped my insides. And I asked somebody if that was a British metaphor, and it's not. It just means I, I, I searched myself. I scraped my insides, figuratively speaking, to ensure that my consecration was complete, and I labored to let go and let God from temptation made its presence felt, which happened, he said, all the time. But the technique was not working. He says, why not? Well, he says, since the teaching declared that everything depended on my consecration, my commitment being total, the fault had to lie with me. So I must scrape my inside again to find whatever maggots of unconsecrated self still lurked there. I became fairly frantic. And he says this, I almost lost my mind. Because I was always looking inside saying, have I done enough? Have I consecrated enough? He says, but then something happened. This is glorious. He said, somebody gave me, an old pastor gave our local Christian group, the, the combined complete works of John Owen. The, the, some people call it the greatest Puritan theologian. I named my son after John Owen, so I love John Owen. He said, I read volume six on temptation and sin. And Owen says that... That, that, that there is a fight of faith. It's not letting go and letting God. It is pursuing Christ by obedience and looking unto him. That it was progressive. It wasn't a moment in time. It was something that I dealt with all of my days. And he said, Owen saved my sanity. I don't know if you understand that, but it's very important. So sanctification, Hugh says, goes like this. To quote Packer, is progressive. It's an active moral effort energized by prayerful and expectant faith which leads to a progressive sanctification. You go forward. Now, for for years I would sing a hymn would like this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence. Day to live, I surrender all. I now believe that is not a once and for all hymn. It's a daily hymn. It's an hourly hymn some days. In Romans chapter 7, this is a hot discussion too, but in Romans chapter 7, Paul writes this incredible statement, and some people say, well, he's right about a non-believer. I think he's right about believers. This is what Paul says. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The next verse, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But, 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 but Paul says, I delight in the law. I delight in the things of God, but I struggle in my members. There, there are people who are here this week, including me, that's cried out this week, wretched man that I am. I've got this attitude, I've got this impulse, I've got this inclination, this harboring bitterness, this lack of forgiveness, whatever. Wretched man that I am. What I'm saying, that cry out, wretched man that I am, and you run to the cross, is an experience that we will deal with. So here's the banner statement. I want you to get this. The banner statement is this. I am in an ongoing battle might be, with sin and Satan. And the world, but the Holy Spirit compels me, pushes me to be obedient and repentant and faithful. So, so I deal with sin, but if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is compelling you and pushing you. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I'm going to quote some now from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 13, on, and, and just make some points to set the table for next week. First of all, it says this, that, that sanctification is something that is real and personal and is ongoing and um, is carried on by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. It, it says that it's real, it's personal, it happens, is carried on by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit sanctified really and personally by the word and the spirit so i'm gonna give you it's real it happens with three principles the first is this as i pursue the lord i i weaken in my own experience i weaken in my own i weaken sin in my life and i strengthen god's power in my life as i pursue as i pursue the lord And I do that by the Word and by the Spirit, by the Word and by the Spirit, by the Word and by the Holy Spirit. So I weaken sin in my life, and I strengthen the work of God in my life as I pursue Him. The way I pursue Him is something called the means of grace. The means of grace are channels through which God pours his empowering presence into our lives. So we pursue the Lord. In the fight of faith, we pursue the Lord. Uh, the, The means of grace, the energy, vitality, power of God, by his word and by his spirit, which includes, of course, the word of God. It includes Prayer. It includes a fellowship. It includes worship. It includes being with God's people. It includes thinking Christianly. That's the way God's power is poured into our life. Let me give you a couple of examples. More times than I even would like to admit, there are Sundays that I come to church very discouraged. Uh, over my sin, over a relationship, over an issue that a brother or sister is involved in or over something that's happened in our culture, and I'm just kind of beat down. And quite frankly, sometimes I'll get up on Sunday, and if I wasn't preaching, I probably wouldn't come to church. I'm just tired, discouraged. But this is what happens to me, invariably, without fail. Come to church discouraged, beat down come to prayer. Pray with 20, 30 people. Sweet people. Gracious. We just read the word. Pray together. Sing a couple of hymns. Walk the halls. See little kids. See teenagers. See young married. See singles. See widows, widowers. Just all types of people who want to honor the Lord. Man, My spirit is getting, I'm just getting encouraged. I come into the worship service. We read scripture. We sing great hymns of the faith. We pray. Man, I'm getting, and then the word's preached, and sometimes it's lousy, but I, you know, I'm here when the, bird so the, the word is preached. and So the word and, is preached, and you know what? Then afterwards I go in the hall and I greet people and talk and see people that want to honor the Lord, and I invariably, invariably go home encouraged. I always leave a better man than I was when I came because worship and being with God's people is a means of grace. God's appointed it. God said, this is a means of grace, being with God's people. The book of Hebrews is written to the early church, and Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about the complete work of Christ upon the cross. Once and for all, Jesus has done this once and for all. He bore your sins once and for all on the cross. Once and for all is time after time in the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews 9 and 10. And then he gets to the application part of, of chapter 10, and he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence enter the holy places only by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold through to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another. The word for stir up means to provoke or to encourage or to cause to go into a frenzy. Let us consider how to provoke, stir up, cause to go into an emotional frenzy of joy. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So so, the right people says, Worship with God's people in the name of Jesus, glory to the Christ who saved us, is a means of grace now so you feed off the wonder of that I'll give you an example this past week something happened it was glorious really it was wonderful it was a great game um I just heard this Somebody told me this. The coach yesterday at a rally said, you know, our, our verse of the week was Philippians 4.13. That's everybody's verse of the week, by the way. You know, what's your favorite verse? Oh, Philippians 4.13, which is what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every, every athlete, that's my verse. Well, you know. Okay. But then the coach said, isn't it strange that number four through to number 13 for the winning touchdown? I went, Whoa. That's pretty cool, you know. Anyway, so I watched the game. I, I, I watched every minute of it. Loved it. Um, so it's so good. Um, but oftentimes I will watch a game at home with my wife. I love my wife. She's wonderful. She's just wonderful. She. But but but. Sports can put her to sleep. And my wife hears a basketball bouncing; she falls asleep on the spot. I mean, she can be she can be sitting here and she hears the basketball boom; she's laid out. I mean, it just that's what happens. And and so we're watching. It's a late night game. We're watching the game, and and uh, a lot of times we we'll watch these games, and she'll come in and out to sleep. How's it going? I'm trying to stay awake because that's okay. And so you know, when somebody when my team scores, I'm going, "That's really good." I'm texting my son on the west coast or other friends, but I don't. You know, I said, "Yay!" I was mean, going, "I don't." Go crazy. But Monday night, we watched the game with two other couples who were very committed to seeing Clemson win. And, and we acted like Clemson students. We were jumping up and high-fiving and fist-pumping and, and dancing. It was really kind of embarrassing. I'm glad there weren't many people there. My wife was doing it too. I thought, what is going on with this? And she was clapping and jumping up. I thought, who are you? Who is this? And here's the answer you know, you feed off each other's energy. That's just a psychological principle. But you read the Bible, we need the body of Christ. We we need to encourage and build up, strengthen love, walk with each other. Consider how to stir up one another to intense emotion as we consider the goodness of Christ. Number two in this whole issue is that we're involved in a continuous, an irreconcilable war. That's what the confession says. And it's biblical. There's a continuous, irreconcilable, unrelenting unrelenting war that's going on time after time. And, and we need to be encouraged. This is what J.L. Packer once again says in a book called Hot Tub Religion, which is a weird title for a book. But he uh, says, nor is sanctification a solitary achievement. Rather, it is to be worked out and expressed in the close and demanding relationships of the Christian church Primarily the local congregation. That thank God for the for the body of Christ. That, that, that I need that. But we're in this we're in this warfare. It's a continuous and irreconcilable warfare. That's ongoing. So we, that means the, the devil. If you're a believer, Satan has been defeated in your life, and yet there are still remnants of guerrilla warfare running around in in sin and the flesh and the devil and the culture around you. And and, and so if if you if you glory in the goodness of Christ and you do the right thing and you pursue the Lord and you're, then, then you, what you're doing, you're diminishing the power of the guerrilla warfare. But if you leave off the watch, the guerrilla warfare can, can grow in your life. And the Christian life, quite frankly, sometimes is one step forward and two steps back. It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's unrelenting. You are never done with sin. In fact, if you read the old, old guys, they kept saying, oh, heaven will be glorious because we'll be done with sin. You're never done with sin in this life. You're always in the middle of warfare. So number three is this. Sin, the confession says this. For a, for, a, for a season, for a time, sin may much prevail. Yet through the continual supply of the spirit of the living Christ, we do overcome and we grow in grace. We can fall into sin but we don't stay there I always think of this, it's really the trajectory of my heart it's, it's the trajectory of my heart a godly king named David most of you know the story David was a ti- spoken of time after time as a man after God's own heart uh, and he was a great king and one day middle-aged. He saw another man's wife who was beautiful. He coveted her. He took her into his house. He seduced her. He had sex with her. She became pregnant. To cover up his coveting theft and infidelity, he tried to bamboozle her husband, who was a first-rate warrior in David's army. The bamboozling did not work. And so David told the general to make sure that Uriah, her husband, was killed in battle along with some other wonderful men. They were killed in battle. David stepped forward in magnanimity and said, I will take the grieving widow into my house as my wife. She was pregnant. No one we thought will ever know that it's not Uriah's baby. And you think, well, David, he's powerful. He's fooled everybody. He's sitting on the throne And here's a guy who, when he committed sin, he didn't put his toe in the lake. He jumped in full orbed, coveting murder, adultery, deceit, whatever. He did it all. And so you say, man, man, what was going on with David? This is what was going on with David. Psalm 32. David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That's not, he wasn't taking his calcium pills. That's just a statement that he was hurting. Through my groaning all day long, all day long, David smiled, handsome, powerful, had it all together. He was smiling. He was the king. But he said, inside, I was groaning, groaning. And then he said, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength is dried up as the heat of summer. You see, if you have the Holy Spirit in your gods, God will not let you off the hook. His hand is heavy upon you when you're in sin. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Jehovah, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Think about that. And then you go back to verse 1, which is the end of the matter, the first verse. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. But, but David said, I was miserable. Let me tell you, there are people here this morning who have taken a step back in their faith. And, and you're involved in sin, and you're miserable. You're not letting go of it. You're not getting away from it. And it's dogging your steps. That's a good sign. If you're a Christ follower and you're involved in sin and you're miserable, it's a good sign because it shows you you have the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what's really sad is when you're a Christ follower and you are involved in known sin, you claim to be Christ follower and you're not miserable. That's a horrible sign because it may be a sign that you're not really a believer. Don't don't ever say, you know, that's just the way I am. I I mean, there, there are people here today who are having sex before marriage. Some people even living together. I mean, people everywhere just living together before marriage. And, 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 and you are miserable. That's the Holy Spirit. Everybody, you're miserable because God's hand is upon you. Because God says sex is wonderful from a man and woman is for marriage. So when, when your misery is not your grandmama cursing you from the grave... Your misery is not some southern agrarian mindset that was visited upon you as a child in the, in the, in the crib. That is the Holy Spirit. There are people here whose life pattern is just arrogance, broken relationships, one-upmanship. And you say sometimes in the quietness of your heart, that's just the way I am. I just, I'm just a type A strong-willed person. no. That's called sin. And you should be miserable. Other people here just feel with pride. You know, you just, my kids are brighter. My marriage is better. My job is better. I'm better. We're better. And you look down on people, and hopefully you're miserable because you know what that is. I mean, you can go on and on and on. These are just respectable sins. Arrogance and pride are respectable sins. It is good, church, to cry out, wretched man that I am. Because that's a sign that God's hand is on your life. So sin can get its upper hand for the season, but you don't stay there. Don't stay there. The sign of being a believer is you do not stay there because you have the Holy Spirit and the supply of the Holy Spirit lets you get over that. But the chief thing you do, you read the, the chief thing you do is you make a beeline to Christ. You glory in the goodness of Christ. You glory in the majesty of Christ. You glory in the forgiveness of sins. You glory in the fact that Christ by the Holy Spirit lives in you. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is from the Gospels. I just think about it all the time. It's a story about a woman who, for 12 years, had had a steady flow of blood. And the Bible says she spent her whole fortune on. Every remedy known to man or woman to stop the flow of blood. In, in large part because in the Old Testament, if you had a flow of blood, you were impure. You couldn't touch people. You couldn't be touched. You couldn't be in society. You were the ultimate outcast. See, if you had leprosy in the Old Testament, you were impure. But at least there were colonies of of, of fellow lepers where you could have some fellowship and lighthearted moments and meals with people who had lepers. But in the Old Testament, if, if, if you had a flow of blood, you're unclean, nobody can touch you. If you touched a corpse, you're unclean, nobody can touch you for seven days. If you have a baby, you're unclean for several days, no one can touch you outside of the immediate family. If, if you have your m- monthly period as a woman, you're unclean for seven days, nobody can touch you. If you have an open sore, you're unclean. Now I always thought, it's kind of weird, you know, you go into a Jewish home, you say, how's it going? Going pretty good. How about a hug? I can't hug you. I've got an open sore. Ooh. Ooh. You're outside the camp. But if you this is this is not something that lasting for eight days or two weeks or a month. This is 12 years. Nobody's touched you. No company. You could eat off the plates of other Jews because you're unclean. Twelve years. The ultimate pariah. Here you hear about this man named Jesus. And there's a huge crowd. And you say to yourself, I have nothing to lose. If I can just get in his presence, maybe just touch the hem of his garment, who knows? And so you work your way through the crowd, letting no one know that you're impure, and you have the tenacity to reach out and you touch the hem of his garment and something happens. You can feel it in your body. You feel robust energy. You feel a new physical power. Wow. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples, Lord, who touched you? There's All these people are pushing and shoving and shouting and praising and I mean, lots of, no, somebody touched me. And, and she came forward and fell to his feet, and he said, he said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Rise and go forth whole. No other time in the Bible did a pure object touched by an impure object come away uncontaminated. The only time a pure object is touched by the impure, and the impure becomes pure. That's what happened on the cross. We take our sins and we go to Christ and our impurity and our sins are laid on His back and we are whole. So I need to make a beeline to Jesus. When I cry out, wretched man that I am, I run to Christ. I glory in Christ. I worship Christ. I sing about Christ. I, I, that's what I do. Because the impure in the presence of ultimate purity is committed to the, to the Lord becomes what? Holy blameless and above reproach and that's the good news of the gospel. Man, that's good news. Nothing we can do. We look to Christ and so, so we go forward in faith. We fight the good fight of faith as we look to Christ. We fight the good fight of faith No one will never be perfect at the sight of heaven, but we're going for it. We're going for it. We're going for it. It's a continuous and it's an irreconcilable war. And sin may appear to have the upper hand for a brief season, but ultimately God gets the victory through the Holy Spirit because of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, scripture and... Thank you that none of us are sinners emeritus, and all of us struggle, and many of us will cry out from time to time, wretched man that I am, but thank you that the victory is through the Lord Christ. As we commit our way to him, and as we walk in his steps, as we... Take his word, and we're empowered by the, the channels of blessing and grace that you've poured into our life. Thank you for the people of God and the laughter and the tears and the joy and the transgenerational and the privilege of just being part of a local body. Thank you. So blessed be your name this day. And I pray this week you would get the glory, you would give the honor, you would give us the empowerment. We need to walk as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.